If you don't like dry lips, don't watch this episode. Everything bothers him. He's unbothered. He calls it unbothered, but that's what's cute. What? Because everything bothers him. He's bothered. I'm a bothering. I'm a bothering. What's up, everybody? Ty Rivera here, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian in the world. Back with yet another episode. That's right, another episode of Unbothered by Ty Rivera. That's right, it's Unbothered by Ty Rivera. Look, um, my hair may not be the best right now, and my lips are a little bit dry, but I couldn't find my lip chap, as Safari would say, off of Flavor of Love. Bijou, my co-host, is currently enjoying a Whimsy's Alligator just going to town right now. Whimsy's Alligator is the never-to-be-sponsor of Unbothered by Ty Rivera, but we still leave our Amazon affiliates links for Whimsy's Alligators down below in the description box. If you need anything from Amazon, click that link, get it through there. Even if you decide not to get Whimsy's, go ahead and get something from Amazon. I may or may not get a small amount of cheat day candy money, which I'm still eating the candy that Cindy Calderon sent me. Believe me, I had... I had to double up on my cheat days because I've had a lot going on. Carla's Homemade Salsa is the official sponsor of Unbothered by Ty Rivera. Still going strong with Carla's Homemade Salsa, even though, like I said, I can't eat it every meal like I was right now, but I definitely am still eating it. I love Carla's Homemade Salsa. Not only do I support the brand, I also support the person. So Carla's Homemade Salsa will be the official sponsor of Ty Rivera or one of the sponsors of Ty Rivera until Carla gets sick of my shit until she's like, you know what? It's a little too spicy on this podcast for me. This may or may not be the episode. What do I know? I'm just trying to have fun and record a quick podcast before I lose sunlight and I can't take my little puppy for walkie walkie time, which if you're not familiar, me and Bijou have found a new track to work here on this side of town. We live in West Las Vegas now, no longer right off the strip. Um, it's great. It's cool. It's very suburban. So it's not necessarily my thing and I'm not the best at adjusting to um, suburban life because, you know, I am kind of in the suburbs, so it is what it is, but it's cool, I guess. Um, I don't know. All I know is that it fits with the theme of everything else that's been going on in my life and what I really want to talk about and what people don't get about me. I am constantly evolving. So things that maybe got on my nerves or pissed me off at another point, really don't matter for that long. And I don't think a lot of people get that about me. I notice that there are a lot of people or a fair amount of people on the scene that are still mad at things that I said like four to six months ago. And I really don't care what's going on four to six months ago. I like... If you think about four to six months ago, I've probably fallen in and out of love at least twice since then maybe once in love and more hookups than I care to mention. And even that, you know, like I don't care about that right now either. Like my life is so busy right now just with turning out content and going to the gym. And I did a photo shoot yesterday, which it's fun, was fun. I've still got to go through all those pictures. And I have so much stuff going right now that really hooking up can't be a priority. And I look at hooking up at this point 
you know, because you guys have been watching my progression and I'm always very honest about that kind of stuff. I don't like lying to people about that kind of stuff and not because I feel like I owe it to anybody to talk about every aspect of my personal life, but just because I know that whether you're gay or straight, there is a fair amount of slut shaming that goes on. And I really don't understand the concept of slut shaming, especially when it comes to adults, because if you're a consenting adult and you're only having fun with other consenting adults, then why should anybody feel any particular way about it? And why should you feel like that's something you you should have to hide or promote? But with me, I just talk about it because it is a part of my life and it has been a part of my growth and it has helped me grow in a lot of ways. Like I said on one of the last episodes, it's like once I... Like I feel like I've had a really long bachelor party now. And so I am ready to settle down, but I'm also not trying to force that. So when something just comes along, something just happens, I'll definitely do it. You know what I mean? Like if fun just happens. But as far as me like actively pursuing anything on Grindr or being on any of the hookup apps, it's not really what I want to do. And when I had my breakup with the guy that I referred to as the boy, I did feel like uh, an urge to get back on Grinder, and that was really that thinking, you know, when they say the best way to get over somebody is to get under somebody. Well, you know, I'm not really an under position person, but it, the expression holds true for me in the way that, like, if I bury myself in, like, hooking up and doing fun stuff, then I won't think about, you know, the the negativity and the breakup. Now, I know some people might say that's not the most healthy th way to handle things, and I get that. I respect that some people think that that's not a healthy way to handle things. But for me, it was a very effective way of handling things. Also, I buried myself in working out, so people aren't necessarily going to say anything bad about that, but that was another thing that I did to not really concentrate on the breakup and not really make that a priority. And I also was uh, listening to a lot of tarot podcast or tarot uh, YouTube post, which Angie Crum had turned me on to. Apparently, Angie Crum has turned a lot of us on to the tarot channels on YouTube. And I posted on her wall today on Facebook that she should get a kickback from them. And I really do feel that way because she's turned so many of us on to the different channels. And like... They are helpful, and I'm going to do a video where I get a reading, you know, a personalized reading from one of the tarot readers. I'm actually going to send them an email today so that I can get that, and then I can let you guys know what that turns out like and how accurate they are. And this isn't meant to be like a gotcha video because for me, it's a fun thing, and I really hope that they tell me some stuff where I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. You know, I, I'm not looking to... Uh, make anybody look silly or try to hurt anybody's channel or stuff like that. Like, that's another thing, you know, like sometimes I get asked because there's been one completely dedicated hate channel to me. And then I guess, you know, a few other like videos or podcasts where people have said negative things about me. And even that I really don't care about at this point, just because I feel like those things, whether they realize it or not, are really promoting you. And I can tell you that the people that have talked the most about me have either been people that I have tried to help out or people that have no personal connection with me. So when it's people that I try to help out and then they turn on me, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's just what it is. Um, but then when it's people that don't know me, it's like, why would I really care about the opinions of people that don't know me? Like there was one rumor started that I'm not actually, because uh, this hate channel was saying that I'm not actually a regular at the Laugh Factory. 
which like that right there and they didn't even realize it was where they kind of completely torpedoed themselves because when you tell a lie that's that blatant it really does take away all your credibility, you know, because and they really went on about it. You know, Ty Rivera says he was a regular at the Laugh Factory, but he actually was not. And it's like, OK, well, let me just produce a magazine article where Jamie Masada talked about me. I, and, and people don't even know because they use just a little a uh, couple little quotes from Jamie. But or maybe it was one quote from Jamie. I don't remember. But like the, you know, the interview when they actually did that, when they talked to Jamie about me, Jamie talked about me for over an hour saying stuff that I didn't even remember. And it's just because with Jamie in particular at the Laugh Factory, and I've talked about this on other podcasts before, I really did have a special relationship with him, do have a special relationship with him. I mean, I don't keep in touch with him at this point just because he's a busy man, just had a kid. And there's really nothing for us to talk about right now in any particular way. But like when it came to comedy, Jamie was the one that urged me to move to L.A. Jamie had a very hands on approach in the way that he dealt with my development as a comedian. Like when I was first starting out, Jamie would give me assignments every time I would go in for a showcase, you know, each time I would go in for a showcase. And it was so frustrating. But at the same time, it really does work well with the way that I work, you know, because I don't know if you guys know this, but. When I was younger, I did um, Kempo Karate for four years. And when I say I did Kempo Karate, my mom was so ridiculous about making sure that I made it to the karate studio. And, you know, we paid for the or they paid. We didn't pay for anything. My parents paid because I was a kid. Um, but they paid for the unlimited. So that was like the private classes as well as the group classes. And so when I was in Kempo Karate for that four years, I had to be there all the time, you know, I had to literally five days a week was how many days every day after school, I would get ready, you know, put on my gi and I'd have to go do karate. And I hated it when I was a kid because, you know, as a kid, I wanted to go play basketball. Believe it or not, when I was little, I used to like to play basketball with my friends. Now I know nothing about basketball, but you know how that works. You know, when I was a kid, I also spoke more Spanish, but that's a complete other story. But like, you know, the thing was. I I hated it at the time, but now I'm very thankful for it because I really do believe that that's the reason I make it to the gym like I'm supposed to because when I was younger, that discipline just got instilled in me. And so when it came to Jamie, that was a lot like when I was in karate because, you know, in karate, yeah, you have the class where you go in for an hour. I think it was an hour that I would go in for the private class. And then you have to learn, you know, your techniques, you have to learn katas, you know, like there's just different stuff that you have to learn. So it's like a different assignment all the time, Sim similar to what Jamie did with me, you know, because I'd come in and then Jamie, you know, I would do my set and Jamie would be like, buddy, buddy, this is what I want to see from you, buddy. That's the way Jamie talks. I'm not just doing an accent for the hell of it. Uh, it I do a J a decent Jamie, you know, I'm not the best Jamie impersonator in the world. A lot of comics do impersonations of Jamie, though. But, you know, buddy, buddy, this is what I want to see from you, buddy. Next time you come in, buddy, I want you to do 
20 minutes. I want you to do a full 20 minutes. One time he pissed me off because he told me that if I did 15 minutes that he would turn me into a regular. You know, that's what he said. I'd be a paid regular if I just did 15 minutes. And so I prepared my 15 minutes and I knew that if I went over my time that I would get in trouble. Like I knew that. But in order to do like a full set at the Laugh Factory, once you're getting paid, you do 20 minutes a set. And I wasn't worried about that because at that point I had already done plenty of 20 minute sets like on the road and stuff like that. So I wasn't worried about it. But what happened was I didn't want to run the light. So I timed out a perfect 15 minute set, did a great 15 minute set, killed it for the 15 minutes. And I do mean killed it, which I recently talked about that, like comedians saying that they're killing it when they're not killing it. Uh, believe me, I'm one of those people that I keep myself honest in that way. I'm like, did you kill it or did you just, did you just do all right? Don't lie to yourself. But I killed it. And uh, but like I said, I timed out exactly 15 minutes. So when my 15 minutes was up, I looked for the host because I knew I was at 15 minutes. I have a stopwatch. I'm at 15 minutes. So I get off stage and I have to go upstairs to talk to Jamie after that was our standard, you know, and Jamie used to do that with a fair amount of people. Now, like I said, he's had a kid. He's opened different clubs. You know, there's a Long Beach location now. There was a Chicago. There is a Chicago location, which used to be a lot more hands on with that. I think he's handed that off, you know, to the Chicago crew more than anything else now. Um and then there was New York, which New York was going on. New York closed down, but when he had the New York club, that's when I was showcasing. So that changed my showcase schedule. But he used to, like, you know, you'd go upstairs after your showcase, and then he would critique you and tell you what he wanted to see or if you were now a regular. Like I said, he kept me going for two years in this process. So then uh, I go upstairs after my set, and he was like, buddy. You did 15 minutes, buddy. And then at the end of 15 minutes, you look around like you ran out of material. What what was the matter, buddy? And I was like, oh, I just didn't want to run light. Like I knew I went oh, if I went over the 15 minutes that you guys were going to like speak over me or I was going to get cut off and I didn't want to get cut off. So I just, you know, timed it right at 15 minutes and then got off stage. And he was like, buddy, now I don't know if you can do 20 minutes, buddy. And I was like, I can do 20 minutes, Jamie. And he was like, but I don't know that. I didn't see that. And I was like, oh, you're killing me, Jamie. And I did used to talk to him like that. Because like I said, we developed a close relationship over the two years of me showcasing. And he got used to my personality. And there were even times when me and Jamie got into it. And I don't ever, like, I don't ever deny that about my relationships with different people. Even if it's people that were in positions of power or are in positions of power. It's just part of what it is. And I really do feel like when people are overly concerned about that like oh you don't want to piss this person off or you don't want to make this person mad it's like you don't really understand how this business even works like as long as you're not outright disrespectful you can show a little bit of emotion and everybody understands that at the end of the day we're all human beings and even though that even though we're comics or producers or club owners or whatever a person's particular role in role is we're all still humans at the same time so every once in a while yeah you're gonna snap like when I was doing the Laughed Out Comedy Festival with Stephen Roberts and Jocelyn Sharp, there were points during the, you know, the process, the planning process where we'd get in these little arguments and stuff like that. And then during the actual festival, 
I personally did not snap at anybody, but I got snapped at it a couple of times. A couple of times, Steve and Jaws, Steven and Jaws, excuse me, I said Steve, and Steven Roberts does not like being referred to as Steve. So sorry, Steven, you don't watch my podcast anyway. I'm really good friends with Steven Roberts. He does not watch my podcast. But the one time I call him Steve, I'm sure he would tune in and then be like, did you just call me Steve? I mean, like, I know he would call my phone. I'm surprised he's not interrupting me right now, and I haven't even posted this. But, uh... Yeah, so uh, you just occasionally will get into it with people and there are very real moments, you know, like when you're on the road with people every once in a while, there'll be a quick snap. And that's one thing that I've had people try to do with me where people will try to make it seem like I victimized them on the road because I, I got snippy with them at a particular time. And it's like, yeah, did you also mention that we've been in the car for 12 hours at that point and you were blaring music? And I'm not mad about that, but at the same time, I'm human and at a point I couldn't hear my own thoughts anymore and I got tired of you. So yeah, I did get snippy at that particular point on the road. Like sometimes you're not, you know, operating on enough sleep or there's so many things that happen when you're in this business that even that, you know, there's very few bridges that matter that I've actually burnt when it comes to open mic comedians yeah I pissed a lot of open mic comedians off but that's usually because open mic comedians think too much of themselves and don't really understand how anything works like I talked about that on the most recent episode of comedy tip Tuesdays where I talked about a comedian that was in the back of the room critiquing every word a headliner of my friend said or every joke that a headliner friend of mine had said and we were sitting in the back of the room and there was more than one thing that was going on that got on my nerves that made me eventually tell this guy he sucked. One, I had seen that guy a couple nights before not be able to complete a five minute set. Now, yes, that was very annoying seeing somebody that can't do five minutes complaining for a full 40 minutes from an actual headliner. There was also the fact that that headliner, it was a really good friend of mine. And so I was just like, where's all the hate coming from? And why do you think it's okay for you to tell me every opinion you have? But then there was also the fact that a lot of times when I go to these shows like that, when I'm not on a show and I show up at a comedy show, I really am there to be an audience member. So if you as a comedian are critiquing every single joke, you are ruining my experience as an audience member. Now I have taken time out of my day to go watch this performance and you're not allowing me to see the performance. And I don't think that that person would ever be self-aware enough to actually get that. And that's one of the things that I was talking about at the beginning. When it comes to evolution and when it comes to people being self-aware and people like paying attention to what their actual part Art is in is different thing in different things. I'm not here to make anybody accept that stuff. Like I don't feel like that's my job. But at the same time, I can't help but notice that there are a lot of people that always look at it as what's happening to them. Like Ty did this to me, and it's like, did I really do that to you, or did we have an exchange where eventually I got tired of you and I said something to you? And I'm getting better at not doing that because so many people will never understand and it's just an exercise in futility when it comes down to it to try to make people understand or see how they're negatively impacting what your experience is in a particular situation will never 
will we'll very rarely get through to them. Instead, people want to feel attacked because people want to continue to stay in the same vein that they've always been in and not grow into something better. And I would actually like to continue to get better and grow as a person. And in a lot of these cases, I've noticed that I can continue to grow without their help or without them being a part of that process. Like me telling them that is in a sense, well, could be for them, but really is for me when you think about it. Anytime you get mad at somebody and you just let go, it really is just you wanting to feel better by kind of, you know, releasing that valve a little bit. And when it comes down to it, though, if they don't take it the way that it's meant, if instead they feel attacked and they turn it into a whole other thing and it turns into an argument, then it defeats the purpose. Because by releasing the valve, you were trying to get rid of some of the pressure and instead you've turned it into an argument and now you're dealing with more of the pressure. And, you know, I was hanging out with an ex of mine the other day. This is another good example. And I I know for a fact that he doesn't understand the way that I evolve and the way that I change. And so I'm just going to have to cut him off because we were hanging out. This is a guy I don't think I've referred to in any way with any substance on this podcast and not for any particular reason, but just because we dated like a couple years before I started the podcast. And the relationship itself was okay. But I I don't know if he was capable of actually being a good boyfriend. And I don't mean that as a knock against him. Just some people aren't necessarily meant or built for that. I think that he was, or maybe that's the thing. Maybe he was meant to be a boyfriend and not meant to be anything serious. And I dated him for over a year. So if I stay with somebody for a minimum of six months, then I'm probably looking at them in some way where it's like, let's see what this is going to grow into. And with that, I never saw the potential of it growing into anything. And I wanted it to grow into something because at the time, I really did like a lot of things about him. One of the things I didn't like about him was that he was a little bit too much of a drinker. And we that's back when I was partying, so I would drink with him. But I could already tell that I was starting to get tired of partying. When it comes to me and partying, if you don't know the story with that situation, my body just doesn't break alcohol down the way used to and I know that that's not only a part of getting older but I wouldn't like say that as like a negative thing from growing older I would say it's one of the positive things there's also the fact that you know I've been working out now for a long time and getting my body fat low and so that also will contribute to your body not breaking down the alcohol the way that you want it to because you don't have enough stuff to filter it out and then there's also the fact that the older I get the less I have a need to be outside of my regular mind. And I'm not saying that anybody is wrong for drinking or they're not as evolved as I am because they still drink or they still smoke weed or whatever it is people do. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I just think that my chemistry is meant to work a particular way and I should, instead of trying to fight that and be like, no, well, I should just continue to drink. Why? If my body doesn't want it anymore and there's nothing other than social pressure that makes me even want to drink, 
then why should I drink just to make other people happy? And I could tell that I was already starting to go that way. But like I said, at the time I was still partying. So there was also the part of me that was like, oh, I can keep partying with him. But it was like just he was always not always, always, but a lot of times he was drinking and I was growing bored of that. Then he also had a lot of obligations outside of just work where he had to do this and had to do that. And sometimes I was like, I just don't want to be around people like I I do stand up. And when you do stand up, you meet so many audience members. And this was when I was just starting to wind down with the Joe Coy situation. So this had to be 10 years ago. And when I was working with Joe Coy, Joe Coy has sold out audiences every night that we're out. And I was gone every weekend. And so that means every single night I'm shaking hands with a minimum of 100 people. Now with COVID, you don't have to do that. But, you know, like 10 years ago, you would shake hands with a minimum of 100 people a show. And that's a minimum. There were more than 300 people at each show. So when I say a minimum, I'm being very conservative in that number saying 100 because it was more than that. But you're also having these mini conversations with people. And a lot of it is the same thing over and over. What city are you going to be in next? When did you start performing? You know, just, you know, they tell you a little bit about their family. They ask you about where you're from. Like, and it's just over and over and over. You're having the same conversation. So sometimes when you're meeting that many people in a week and then you take time off and either fly or drive to Las Vegas, because at the time I was living in L.A., My boyfriend was in Las Vegas and you're you come to Las Vegas and your idea is like, let's just hang out and be us. And then they're like, well, I'm having my sister over. I'm having my best friend over and my best friend's bringing so and so. And now you're back to entertaining. And guess what? Since they find out you're a comic, what city are you going to be in next? What? It's all the same conversation that you have every day. So it was it was a lot, you know, and I don't think that he really understood that. And instead of like trying to understand me, instead, he made it seem like I was just being a brat or being a diva. And it wasn't about that. It was actually the opposite. It was like, I don't want to be the center of attention. I don't want to have to entertain people. I don't want to have to talk to anybody. I wanted to see you. I wanted to spend quality time with you. That's all I wanted to do. That's why I made the entire trip over here. There was one night where it was a Halloween and he was having this Halloween. Halloween party and he wanted me to be at this Halloween party and I told him because I was working in Fresno I can't make it to the Halloween party there's no way and he was like well how about you just drive out here right after your show and then you can make it to the party and I was like I'm not gonna make it in time I know I'm not and so I killed myself trying to make it to this party and I ended up getting here at like four in the morning you know I drove straight from Fresno to um, Las Vegas and no no breaks the only stops I made were if I had to get gas I think I got here around four in the morning. I'm pretty sure it was around four in the morning Well, he was already passed out drunk in his room. The party was completely over And I had the code for his garage, you know, and that's the way I would always get in. So it wasn't like I was being a creep and just broke in his place. You know, that was the way that was our situation. You know, when you get here, just let yourself in. You know how to get in. So I had the code for his garage. So, of course, I just, you know, went in and went upstairs to his room. But it was so disappointing and depressing that somebody would, like, demand 
that you make it to this party and then you make it to the place where the party's supposed to be, which is their house, and you get there and there is no party. It's completely done. And now the person that you're there to see is passed out drunk, so they're useless. You're not going to have a conversation with them. You're not going to have some quick sex before you go to sleep. You just drove to roll into bed and the next morning wake up to their hangover. So cut to nowadays, we have a good relationship. We're friendly. And he had... uh, responded to one of my shirtless Instagram stories when I wake up in the morning, which some people think I do as a thirst trap. And yeah, they're fun thirst traps in a way, but not really. The truth about me is I very rarely wear shirts. Like that's why a lot of times when you see me wife beater on my podcast, it's because this is like the closest to not wearing a shirt. I can go in public and do grocery shopping and stuff like that. But I just don't wear shirts a lot of the time. When I was a kid, I was always naked running around. And by naked, I mean, like just shorts you know like that was it just wearing shorts all around the house and that was all I wore so never wore shirt shoes socks none of that just always shorts and so that's the way I'm the most comfortable and so when I post those things yeah there's the thirst trapped element of it and I'm not going to pretend that I don't like my body it is what it is but it's not about, you know, trying to hook up with people or trying to like send private messages to people in that way. If I want to send a dirty message, I send a dirty message. But he hit me up and sent me like the fire emoji at like 3 a.m. And lately I've been waking up around 5 a.m. So when I woke up and saw it, I just sent an LOL and, uh, was like, what are you doing up so early? And then I was like, or, Was it early or were you up late? And then the next day he responded to me and said that he had been up late and it was because of uh, he's been working like night shift and he's like the manager for a retail chain. And so he's been up working late and he just said that anytime he sees one of my shirtless photos he has to stop and have personal time with himself which is flattering I'm not gonna pretend that's not but uh you know and so I was like well I've been working out a lot so if you get bored and want to give me a massage I'm definitely down like that kind of vibe and then he let me know that he was off that night and so he was going to come over. And so he came over, but it was a lot of what I dealt with when we were dating, which was a lot of one thing I hate that people try to do is people will try to tell you about yourself. And there is nothing more annoying to me in this world than people trying to tell me about myself. When it comes to regular people, I don't care. But when it comes to people that actually know me or hanging out with me or have like direct access to me, those people will get on my nerves when they want to tell me about myself because it's like you really don't know me like you think you know me if this is what you're saying. Like we were talking about this situation that I have where 
the gay community sometimes gets mad at certain things I said. There was a point when they tried to cancel me over this particular joke that I did. I didn't really care, and I made a thing about it online, and a lot of my comedy fans really had a problem with it and went after them in a way that the community wasn't ready for. And it was no hate speech or anything like that, so nobody could be like, well, your fans are clearly homophobic. It was just very matter-of-fact, and I really do appreciate my fans having my back like that that was about two years ago so now they're doing a documentary about it uh, you know and I had to come in and do an interview for the documentary who knows when it's going to get released but I was talking to him about that and I was talking about the fact uh, that you know I don't want to argue with people about these things that for me don't really matter it's like you any one of you doing your everyday job like when you go to work and you do what you're supposed to do and you actually do meet the requirements of the job you don't want to hear anything else about it like with me if people aren't laughing then I could understand people getting mad at me and coming after me for things that I say but as long as I meet the requirements of a job which is making the audience laugh and satisfying the amount of time that I'm supposed to do then I don't want to hear anything extra about it. I don't really care if you're one person and you have a bad opinion of something I said, which is what this was. It was one person trying to make a big deal of one thing that I said and trying to make that seem like that was the whole of my set when that was a 30-second, 15-second clip was what it was. He had clipped out 15 seconds and used that. And so I was talking to my ex about that and I was just saying, you know, and he's like, well, I know you love a good argument. And I was like, you don't understand. I really, at this point in my life, don't have an interest in arguing with people about things that don't matter. And he was like, yeah, I know you love to argue online. And it was like, you knew that I used to like to argue online. And I admit that when it came to social media debate, I used to like doing that and I was really good at doing it. I felt felt it was beneficial at that time because it forced me to research a lot of things. It forced me to really have to think about why I was saying things and whether the things I was saying were even accurate. And there was a lot of research that went into it. You guys know how I feel about reading. You guys know that I'm not the best at reading, but because I wanted to know what it was I was saying, I would force my Myself to actually read things that usually would be mind-boggling for me because like I said me and words on paper or words on the screen when it's too much it's just my brain doesn't work that way I'm not good at it and that's just a fact but um, because I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was talking about and I you know I knew the generals of everything that I was saying because I watch a lot of stuff but there is something to be said for actual reading and so it forced me to really research the shit that I was saying. And I really did like that process of being like, this is why I'm saying this. This is the info to back it up. If you want me to cite my sources, I'll cite my sources because that's something I would do in online debate all the time. I wasn't doing the you're stupid or you're ugly. All of that has no place in actual debate as far as I go. When people would get into that, at first, I used to be fun about that because I am good at roasting. But there was a point where I got like, well, that's not really pertinent to the conversation that we're having. So I don't want to do that. Like for me, I want to stick to the actual facts of what we're talking about. And let's debate that. Let's not go into what you look like and what I look like. Because one, you've got more insecurities than I do. 
because you're not used to being in the public eye. I've already heard people say so many things about me through it, whether it's YouTube comments, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've heard so many things about myself and it's been a lot of times at times when I didn't think anything. There was one particular time which was the first time and the only time that I let the internet really hurt my feelings. And it was like I said last week, I think I said this on the podcast or maybe it was the week before when I said that a person will never hurt my feelings when they're trying to hurt my feelings. It was one of those situations where it wasn't even a controversial interview or a situation where I was at all trying to think that way. Technically, I remember that night and I remember, you know, the night that the video was shot. I remember that I was so excited because I was going to be interviewed by a comedian that I really had looked up to when I was a kid. I had looked up to this comedian since I was nine years old. This comedian was one of the reasons that I started doing stand-up. Was he my favorite in the world? No, never, ever. But he definitely was one of the people that when I was a kid, I would watch him on TV and I would think... I would like to do that. I really would like to do that. And so when I grew up, I respected him as a comic still. And I would see him at different spots, but I had never met him. And I always felt like I would kind of fanboy out since I remember watching him. Like I said, when I was literally nine years old, I remember watching him. And so I had this situation where I was going to be interviewed by him and it was going to be posted on YouTube. And I was innocently, you know, I I still had the silicone in my face. I hadn't had it removed yet. But it was getting to that point where it was starting to make the skin darker, which is something I've talked about before. But I'll talk about more in depth on its own episode when I talk about plastic surgery and the silicone and what a mistake that was. And not because at this point, I'm not regretful about those things in my life. But I would like to talk about them in a way that maybe could help people out, you know, like maybe because a lot of people are getting injected with silicone right now in their bodies because nothing will give you a fake ass like silicone injections. And especially if you're going for the female form and whether that's you're a biological female or a trans woman, there are a lot of trans women have gone that route and they're dealing with the ramifications or the after effects and the negative side effects of what happens when you get silicone injected in your body. Because if you think about what it would take in injected silicone, you think about the size of her syringe and how much of that it would take for you to make an actual hip. And in some cases, the girls I knew and the girls that I know are looking more for like the type of body that's big in hip hop, you know, so the extreme hips, the hips and ass, a badunkadunk, which like the look is great. But nothing is going to beat silicone when it comes to getting that look. So far, nothing that they've come up with is going to beat silicone when it comes to that look. And so a lot of people were getting injected with that or are getting injected with that. And I would like to talk about that at some point in that way. But at that point, it wasn't something that I really wanted to talk about. And I was hoping that I could just get it removed and have nobody ever notice and that's not what eventually happened. And that was its own journey. But the thing was, this was when I still had the silicone. I was doing the best I could do to have a doctor or doctors uh, make it look more even by adding different fillers that break down over time to even it out. And I just I was trying to look my best that night. You know, I did my makeup. I did my hair. And 
then uh, like from the beginning that experience just went sideways you know i had fun doing the set that i was supposed to do but then afterwards when the comedian was interviewing me he was very dismissive of me i tried to tell him in the nicest way possible that he was one of my influences when i was a kid and instead he was like oh yeah i'm sure your grandpa used to take you to and it was just like what What's happening right now? Like, this is why they say never meet your heroes, which he wasn't, like I said, a full on hero, but he definitely was a low level hero for me in life, you know? And like, I remember that night feeling like, feeling so disappointed in the way that it went. And so then a couple months passes and I forget about it altogether. And then it gets posted on YouTube. And every one of the comments is something negative about my appearance, about my face. Every single one of the comments, just comment after comment. And I really wasn't expecting that. And I really wasn't ready for that. And it, it's the one time and I forced myself to read every single horrible comment. And there were a lot of them. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. And I forced myself to read every single one of those comments. And I got to be honest, you know, there were points where it was too much for me, like because I just wasn't ready for that amount of hate. But at the same time, forcing myself to do that, even though people would say you should never do that, really did callous me to that altogether. So then after that, when anybody would say anything negative appearance, negative about my appearance online or even now when people once in a while try to say anything negative about my appearance, because now a lot of people don't say a lot of negative stuff. I think just the Internet has changed. The world has evolved. And also the fact that I've completely taken that away from people because it no longer bothers me. I completely open about all of it. And I'm also very honest about the fact that I don't care what people that I don't want to fuck think about my appearance. And that's something that maybe I should have told myself back then or been because, you know, we're raised to think we're supposed to care what other people think about us. And that's one of the things I think that you also learn in being LGBT because I had gotten used to the fact that people were going to have negative opinions about the fact that I was gay. So I was pretty well ready for that. But when it came to people just coming after my appearance and just not even paying attention to the content of the interview or the content of my material or anything outside of just the superficial, that really did bother me at that time. But like I said, it made it so that that was no longer a thing for me where I was just, I don't care what people think about me. So that's why I say when people try to come for me on the internet in that way, it's like, yeah, I can do that for you, but I'm really going to hurt your feelings because I'm not built the same as you are. You're going to say something that you think is hurtful and it's going to be something that I probably heard a minimum of a hundred times in my life, maybe even closer to 500 or a thousand because you forget the number of people that I'm exposed to. So you're going to say something that is completely going to bounce off me because I've already heard it so many times. I'm going to pick out something about you that you probably thought nobody noticed that everybody's been too polite to tell you your entire life. I'm going to, I'm going to spot that out. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to go into it in a way that you're not ready for. I'm going to keep reminding you that that's all I see you as. That's that's all I see about you. I'm going to hurt your feelings and the next day at work you're going to be thinking about me. So why don't we just skip it and stick to this actual topic? Let's debate these politics. And so 
At a point, I realized how good I am at hurting people's feelings, which I've known for a long time, but I didn't realize I had that kind of power online because I've hurt a lot of feelings online. That's why people will report me for things. Like, you notice people will say things about me and they think they're really sassy. And then I'll say something quick back, just a quick, and it's not even the going into technique. It's just a quick one. Like one time... There were these people, which I've talked about on my podcast before. I'm not going to mention their name this time, but, uh, you know, I've talked about them before at length. I've done an entire episode about them, but they were being the most obnoxious, like trying to like call me every name you could think of and really trying to hurt my feelings. And then I called them losers. They got their feelings hurt and they reported me to Facebook. Just the word loser. And it's like, well, it's true. You guys are losers. And that's what really bothered them and why they had to report me was because I had really cut them to the quick by something as simple as the word loser. Like they hadn't really looked at themselves as losers and everybody around them has always been too nice to tell them that we all see them as losers. And so, and even when it was, when I was friendly with them, like I knew that they were losers. I'm just, you know, I'll be friendly with losers. (laughs) I don't don't have anything against the loser community. I'm not loserophobic. You know, you can be a loser all you want and I'll still be cool with you. But, uh, you know, I'm just very used to that kind of stuff. So I, I did, you know, like I said, enjoy debating politics on Facebook or debating LGBT or debating race or and now if you notice I'll still talk about all that stuff but I just speak in declaratives I just speak in what I see from my perspective and my perspective isn't an uneducated perspective on any of those topics when it comes to politics and the way they affect people of color or they they affect the LGBT community I paid a lot of attention to those dynamics all you have to do is look around you if you're LGBT and a person of color, which I'm obviously both, to see the way that those things will sometimes negative, negatively or positively affect those communities. And so those are things that I feel that I can speak on, at least from my particular perspective, when you're a person that comes from my particular factors. And so I speak in declaratives at that point. I speak in this is the fact of the way it affects the people around me. So when people try to argue that with me, it's like, well, where do you live? Are you LGBT? Are you a person of color? Well, if you're not those things and you don't live in my same region, because I've said this before too, like two people can make two completely different opposing statements on the same topic and be right depending on where they're from. Like neither one of them is a liar. Like if you live in Beverly Hills and you pay a lot of taxes and you happen to be white. Well, even if you're not white, if you're living in Beverly Hills and you're known to live in that area, you're a cele- let's say that you're a celebrity, you're white, you're living in Beverly Hills. And you say that the police are always great. Like the police have the best attitudes. Well, if you're used to dealing with Beverly Hills police and you live in Beverly Hills and you're a celebrity, you could be 100% right. The police always do everything by the book, by procedure. Say that you say that. That could 100% be your experience. And then you take a black person from Ferguson, Missouri, which has been proven, the corruption there got proven by the Department of Justice, like that 
is an undeniable fact. Like maybe it's changed now because they've had the spotlight shined on them and they've had to make changes. But let's say you were pre uh, Michael Brown. Mike Brown was the one and which we're not going to get into Mike Brown because I have opinions on that. But when it comes to being pre Mike Brown, if you're a black person, Ferguson, Missouri, and said that this was your experience with the police, that they are corrupt, that they do constantly try to find reasons to arrest you, that they will arrest you for no reason at all. Say you said that stuff. You could be 100% telling the truth. Well, now you and this person on... God damn, that was annoying. It scared the shit out of me. It was a speaker. Um... But now you from Ferguson, Missouri, the black person that has dealt with these corrupt police has been brought into the world of, by the miracle of Facebook, this white celebrity living in Beverly Hills, and you are now arguing. Now, celebrities don't usually argue on Facebook, so that might not be the best example, but you guys know what I'm saying. Both statements are true. It's just that the two people are coming at it from two completely different points of view. And so that's why when people try to argue with me, I'm like, yeah, you really can't argue with me. Even when it comes to other LGBT, a lot of times, or let's talk specifically about the situation that I was referring to. It was LGBT, yes, so we both have that in common, but they were also white and did not appear to have a lot of exposure to the trans community. Now, I was talking as a brown person that's had an... Like, when it comes to me and trans people, I don't think people fully get, like, the number of trans people that I've been friends with throughout my life, which has covered the spectrum, which would really blow a lot of people's minds if they were to think about the different demographics from even within the trans community that I've dealt with. And so, yeah, maybe I will sound a little more familiar, and sometimes when you sound a little more familiar you'll come off as being insensitive. Well, in today's day and age, that gets turned into you being transphobic. And it's really like, no, that's actually the opposite. I'm not at all transphobic. I'm just not at all treating trans people with kid gloves because that's never been my experience or what I was asked to do. I've been hanging out with trans people since the 90s. So my experience with trans people has gone all the way back to when all of society was shitty with trans people. And so we didn't really think about feelings in that way as far as having them having to be politically correct with me because I'm a gay man or me having to be politically correct with them because they were trans. All of society was attacking us on a regular basis when we would go out because I made no effort to mask the fact that I was gay and they obviously were trans. And when I say obviously, no matter how beautiful a trans woman is, a lot of times somebody's going to notice that they're a trans woman. And that's because of women. <laughs> women are bitches. So if you have a really beautiful trans friend... That's eventually going to catch heat for you because the thing is, most straight men will just be like, wow, that's a beautiful woman and not really think anything about it. But when it comes to other women, think about the way other women look at women. And now it's changing a bit because of the way that people see having to support, you know, women see having to support other women, which I'm not saying is a bad thing at all. Technically, it's a great place that women have grown to. But 
there are still a lot of women out there that see a beautiful woman and right away start dissecting her. Start with the like, okay, yeah, she's pretty, but let me find the flaw. So they start clocking all the, you know, okay, well, she she has her nails done. Those nails look, wait a second, what's with those big hands? And then once they start down that track, if it's a trans woman, you know, they'll look down to the feet and be like, oh, big feet, big hands, big feet. Wait a second. Is that an Adam's apple? Ice? And it's on from there. You know, and I know plenty of girls that had their Adam's apple shaved, you know, so that's another thing. But if they notice that little scar, then they're like, okay, we got something going on here. And so, you know, like my experience with trans people has been a lot different than a lot of the people that I'm dealing with. So, yeah, what they say could be true. Like all the trans people that they've met could be recently out and been dealing with politically correct society and the new rules that we work by. So they could be right in saying that their friends that are trans are triggered by these particular words and bothered by these particular terms. And I could also still be right by saying that my friends that I've had from the 90s aren't at all concerned with any of that because back then you had to callous yourself and you had to toughen up and just accept that not everybody was going to be accepting or encouraging of what it is you are and what it is you're doing. So should I have to argue with the other LGBT people in order to be able to express myself the way that I express myself? Or if they don't like it, should they be able to just dismiss it as far as because I'm not asking anybody to take me as the gospel. I'm not asking anybody to look at me as their leader. I'm not at all doing that. I'm a comedian that tells jokes. I'm an LGBT person that has opinions. And I will talk about my opinions sometimes on my YouTube channel, you know, specifically about LGBT and what I think we're doing to hurt our own causes. And I'm going to do a video about that coming up. But at the same time, should I have to change the way I express myself to make other people that are maybe from my same lived in, lived experience to a certain degree because it makes them uncomfortable or it makes them feel a particular way? Because I don't really think they should have to change what they're doing and I also don't think I should have to change what I'm doing. When it comes to non-binary, that's something I've talked about quite a bit, which a lot of people don't understand non-binary. To be honest, I don't completely understand non-binary as a, what, a specification, uh, identification. Like, I don't understand it. Like, you know, if you're not familiar with non-binary, these are people that don't necessarily identify as male or female. Well, I personally may, well, not may, I know I'm going to sound old school by saying this, but I think that's decided at birth. You know, if you say that you're neither, it's kind of like, yeah, whether you like it or not, you are one or the other. And then people get into sex versus gender and it's like, okay, well, I can go with you on that, but you're complaining, you're, you're claiming to not have a gender altogether, which like, yeah, you probably do. Like there's... Okay, so you don't identify as either. Well, I and a lot of us could say the same thing because even throughout our days, no matter how straight you are, there are certain parts of the day where you have to do things that have stereotypically been considered of being work for the other sex, you know, or something that the other sex should stereotypically be in charge of. You know, like if you're a man and you live alone and you have to do your own dishes, 
traditionally in this country and a lot of countries doing dishes was women's work. That's what they used to say. I'm not saying that now. I'm not saying I feel that way or I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm a gay man. So obviously I'm not thinking about those things in those terms, you know. Uh, I have to do every job myself because I'm single and gay. But, you know, that's traditionally considered. So is this man now non-binary because he occasionally throughout his day has to do things that are considered to be women's work? Taking out the trash has always been a boy chore. So if you're a woman, you live a single life, you take out your own trash. Should you scratch your balls on your way to take the trash out because now you're living as a dude? You're not living as a dude. You're just doing something that has been stereotypically considered to be something a man's supposed to do. If you're a woman and you work on your own car, are you now done by... Like, for me, it's like... All of us could claim to be this particular thing and not have it really be a thing. But instead, we just run through our changes in our brain and do the things that we're supposed to do to get things done the way that we need to get them done and don't really think about things in those terms. So I guess my point is when people are being unnecessarily confusing about things, there's always an urge for me to be like, yeah, why don't you just be that in your head and let that be the way you identify and why does that have to be anybody else's problem? But then I get told that I'm shaming people and I'm really not shaming anybody. I'm just wondering why it has to be such a thing. And if other people don't matter, why are you so, so concerned with what other people think? Like when it comes to me in particular, like obviously I have tattoos on my face. That is not the norm in society. Yeah, there's a lot more people that do have tattoos on their face nowadays. But for a long time, that has not been the norm in society. And I can tell you as a person with tattoos on my face that it does change the way the world looks at you. But... Um, do I have to make that everybody else's problem that, you know, people look at me in a particular way and do I really care how people look at me? Because if that's not the norm for the average person, and I'm telling you from knowing me from the inside out, I'm not the average person. Like not only is my talent not average, me as just a human being and like I'm talking about the way that I evolve is not the way average people do things. So why is it I would try to appeal to the average person or why is it I would pay any real attention to what the average person thinks when not only am I not trying to be average, I'm not trying to appeal to average. Anyway, consequently, a lot of the average everyday person really does relate to me because this is the way I go at things. And I think that that is really what pisses a lot of LGBT people off that don't like me because LGBT individuals can be very cool. The LGBT as a system is will get upset with me. But I'm going to talk about, like I said, I'm going to do a video about that coming up and it's just going to be one of the shorter ones where I talk about that specifically and what I think the gay agenda is and so if you guys get a chance to tune into that one I'm sure I'll be putting it out within the next week or so within the next seven days for sure maybe even by like Friday or something but I think it's something that's very important to talk about but I don't really know that any of us should really care what people think of us in that way. Like as long as you're doing things the way that you know that you should be doing them and by the right standards as far as whatever it is that guides you, whether that's your religion or your upbringing, just your morals that you've picked up along the way, lessons you've learned in life, 
whatever it is that's made you the person that you are and the Thing that actually guides you through the world and makes you what you would consider a good person or the best you, maybe that's the only thing you need to worry about. And maybe that's the best way for you to continue to evolve is to continue to just steer into that instead of continuing to live your life by the limitations. Because that's a lot of times what people are trying to encourage you to do is accept limitations. Like with me and being a gay man, people always want me to accept that I'm supposed to get my feelings hurt by certain things. But like I said, if I've already evolved past a lot of that because of when I grew up, why should I take steps back to now be triggered and offended by things that I learned to not let be an issue for me years ago? In some cases, you think about the 90s, what, more than 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and now I'm supposed to go back to that? Like you want me to revert back 30 years to make you more comfortable? Makes no sense. Stay unbothered.